Well, this morning we uh, come to the last uh, message um, in our series that we called uh, Being Mentored by Moses. And if you remember when we started, we were looking at being mentored into servant leaders because that's what God calls all of us to be. And, um, you know, Moses was uh, really a model servant leader over the course of his lifetime. And I think that's so because, as we've seen, he's uh, sort of a prefigurement or uh, what's called the type of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so Moses has been a great uh, mentor to follow and to think through and to compare our own lives to. Um, Moses, uh, the Bible says, was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, uh, which is why I think God told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, the Lord your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. God, God instructed Moses to tell the people that down the road, uh, God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses, okay, from amongst yourselves, from amongst your brothers, and it is to him you should listen. It's to him you should listen. And so, uh, obviously, he's talking about Jesus, um, and if you follow through, all through the Old Testament, you know, leads us right uh, to Jesus as this prophet who's going to uh, be greater than Moses. And the book of Deuteronomy uh, really is, um, you know, while it's the last book that Moses writes, that God instructs Moses to write, and um, it's really uh, three messages, uh, three farewell addresses that Moses gives to the people. Now, the older you get, the more you start thinking about what do you want to say before you die? And uh, Moses uh, knows that he's going to die. I mean, he's 120 years old and uh, at the end here. And um, he's thinking about what he wants to leave with the people, what he wants to say. And so it's in that kind of a context that we come today. Uh, most people feel that he died about 1405 or 1406 B.C. Um, and uh, at 120 years old. And so Deuteronomy... Uh, uh, is addressed primarily right to the second generation of the people who came out of Egypt. Most of the first generation died in the wilderness over the first 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And uh, so this really is addressed to the second uh, generation uh, just before the people enter the promised land. But uh, I think you probably know this. Moses is not allowed to go into the promised land with the people. Now, think, you know, we rehearsed a little bit uh, about Moses' life and all the different things that God put him through and, and so forth in our scripture reading this morning. But we get right up to the edge of the promised land, and um, Moses is not allowed by God to go in. And I don't know how you feel about that or think about that, but what happened, I don't know if you remember what happened in Numbers chapter 20, uh, the people were thirsty, right? The uh, same old, same old kind of thing. They came to a place, they didn't have anything to drink. And so they start complaining. They complain against Moses and so forth. In chapter 20 and verse uh, 2 and 3, it just says, there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves together against Moses, against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses, and they said, would that we had perished when our, our brothers perished before the Lord, uh, why have you sought, uh, brought this assembly out here into the wilderness that we should die here of thirst, we and our cattle? So same old whining, complaining, same old turning it against uh, 
Moses, the leader, because the people, you know, were thirsty. And so um, uh, Moses, you know, uh, turns to the Lord, and then verses 7 and 8 uh, of this uh, passage in Numbers chapter 20, uh, the Lord speaks to Moses, and he says, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, uh, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And so Moses took the staff from before the Lord uh, as he had commanded him and so forth. And so in verse uh, 10, Moses and Aaron gathered all the people together before the rock and uh, said to them, uh, Hear now, you rebels, Moses says to the people, right? He's a little ticked off, right? Moses is kind of getting down. Yeah, he's getting a little cranky. He's getting a little older, right? He's, he's got these people. They're still the same. They're still crabbing about him and, you know, uh, whining and so forth. And so he says, Hear this, you rebels, you know, uh, shall we bring water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. The congregation drank and their livestock and so forth. Um, And the Lord said to Moses, verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I have given them. Now, I don't know how you feel when you first read that, but I'm like, that that seems a little harsh. Don't you think? I mean, it's Moses, right? Look what he's done. God, look at how many times, uh, you know, the people have done this and so forth, and yet maybe he lost it and so forth. But look look what God said. The Lord said to Moses, because you didn't believe in me, The surest indication about whether or not you believe is whether or not you obey, right? Trust and belief are kind of the same idea. Trust and obey. Remember that old song that we used to sing? There's no other way but to trust and obey. So disobedience is a sign of disbelief. It's just, you know, the way it is in this uh, particular covenant that God had struck with the people of Israel. And so God refuses, you know, to allow him to go in because he disobeyed, because he struck the rock instead of spoke to the rock. Seems like kind of a minor thing to me, and uh, especially when we first read this and so forth. Uh, but remember a couple of things. First of all, Moses is the leader, right? And he's... Uh, Uh, the teacher. He's the one God uses to teach the people uh, the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, uh, laws that God had instructed Moses in, all the nuances and so forth. Uh, And not only is he the leader, but uh, the Bible says that when you're the leader or the teacher that you'll be judged with a stricter judgment, James chapter 3. And uh, that's why not everybody's willing to be a leader and so forth because you know you're going to come under a a worse uh, judgment than everybody else, but that's not even the worst of it. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul tells us uh, in verse 6 and verse 11 uh, in this chapter that the things that happened to those people back there in Israel and in Moses' day were for our benefit. They were actually written down so that we could learn. You remember, like Sokol said, you know, you find the pearls deep, and when you study the scriptures and continue to study, there's always more and more 
uh, the, the scriptures just unfold. They just keep unfolding with deeper truths. And so uh, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, these things that took place back in uh, Moses' day uh, are examples for us that we might not desire evil like they did. Verse 11 says, these things happened to them as an example to us, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So what happened to them was for our benefit, written down for our benefit. And in verse 4, here's what it says about the rock that was following the people around the desert, right? In verse 4, Paul says, um, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Here's this rock following around the people. Every time they're thirsty, the rock satisfies their thirst. It's a picture God intended to be of Christ. And you remember the first time this happened, God told Moses, take the staff and strike the rock. It's a picture of Christ being crucified on the cross, right? And uh, to satisfy our thirst, to satisfy our salvation, our longing to be with him for heaven, our uh, desire to overcome uh, death, uh, and all the different things that might be uh, all wrapped up in that. Strike the rock, and the water gushed out, and the people were satisfied. This time, God says, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And Moses just whacks it, you know, because he's ticked. And God says, you're not going into the promised land for that. Why? Because Jesus died once for the sins of mankind. And he's not going to do it again, right? He doesn't need to do it again. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's already done. And um, from this point on, once you trust in Jesus, the rock of our salvation, once we trust in him, we begin a relationship and we begin a conversation. And from now on, you just talk to him. You don't need to strike him, Moses. You know, because this example of what uh, God intended uh, for uh, the rock to be an example of Christ, but Moses ruined it, and God is now ticked. And um, I think this is important to kind of think about because Jesus died once, it's finished, and uh, in spite of all of that, there are still some Christian groups, uh, you know, who insist that every time we celebrate communion, Christ is re-crucified. And uh, it's just not so. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, whoever the author of Hebrews is, we're not quite sure, but compares and talks about Christ and compares him to the Old Testament priesthood. And here's a couple of verses, you know. Uh, Nor was it for Christ to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. In the Old Testament, we had all these sacrifices always with blood, and it was, you know, always repeated. Remember we said in the tabernacle there was no chair because the priest could never sit down, you know. But when Christ finished his work, what did he do? Sat down, right, next to the Father. Why? Because it was finished. It was done. It doesn't need to be kind of regurgitated time and time again. Uh, for, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Jesus, appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, 
So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, but not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him to come back. Okay? So uh, I just, you know, I, I, I feel bad for Moses. <laughs> you know, at the very end of his life, whoops, at the very end of his life, God uh, puts him up on top of a mountain and shows him the promised land from a distance, and he dies, and he never gets to go into the promised land. Next time we hear from Moses is Jesus' transfiguration in the New Testament. Remember, Moses shows up, and uh, we won't go down there. Um, So uh, the Lord uh, comes to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and tells Moses, um, Joshua's going to take over for you. You're going to die, and Joshua's going to take over. Now, you remember, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that were sent in from the Israelites, right, to check out the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb are the two that came back and said, we could do this. We could trust the Lord. We could put our faith in what he said, and let's go for it. But the other 10 spies said, no, they'll never work. We don't have what it would take to do it and so forth. And, and that ended up being 40 more years out in the wilderness. So in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves uh, in the tent of meeting. And uh, Joshua was then going to take over for Moses. You can read about it in Numbers 27, uh, the whole transition experience. But there are still a few things that Moses needs to do before he dies. And so uh, this is, I think, kind of interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, God asked him to write a song. God asks him to uh, write a song, Deuteronomy 31, verse uh, 19. Uh, God comes to him, therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and they're full and they've grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they're going to despise me, and they're going to break the covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their kids, of their offspring. Music is such a great gift from God, isn't it? And it's such a great way to teach truth to kids. You know, Barb and I, uh, when we drive back and forth from where we live to here, uh, oftentimes we'll be singing with some CDs that we have, and some of the music is like from when we were kids, and it's still the same truth, you know, that we were instilled with when we were kids that's so relevant and even more meaningful for us today. And so I just think music is such a gift, and here's God uh, telling Moses, listen, before you die, you need to write a song, and I'm going to use that song. I'm going to put it into the hearts and minds of the people, and it's going to come to their memory, and I'm going to use it And when they step out of line and when they get off the uh, track that I have for them and so forth, this song is going to be on their hearts and their minds, and um, they're going to remember it. And So Moses writes this song, and he teaches it to the people. Verse 30 of uh, chapter 31 says, Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished into the ears of all the assembly of Israel. (laughs) Moses is like, we're going to learn this song before I die. And boom, you know, uh, you might think about, you know, again, 
uh, as we get older, what is it that we want to communicate to the next generation? Uh, The song actually reviews some of Israel's history, but it also predicts or reveals, if you will, or prophesies the future. Uh, A time of unprecedented calamity is going to once again come upon the people of Israel. Uh, In the last days, uh, the Bible calls it a number of things. Uh, One of the uh, terms that the Bible uses for this horrible period of time is Jacob's trouble. Uh, Jesus explains it as the great tribulation, uh, but it also explains or at least hints at uh, uh, the Lord using the pain uh, that he inflicts on the people uh, to cause them to repent and to come back to him and to experience the reality of the salvation that he's provided through the Messiah and through the new covenant and ultimately um, uh, to give them a perfect salvation. In chapter uh, 32, which is where the song is, and uh, verse 36, if you have your Bible, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. When the people, you know, come to the end of themselves, okay? When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free, the Lord will vindicate his people. Then he will say, where are their small g gods? You know, the rock in which they took refuge. Who did they turn to instead of the rock, right? And um, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. In other words, God is saying, you know, Israel's going to come to the place where they realize there there is no power within them, uh, and they're going to turn to Christ. Uh, See now that I, God says, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. Yes, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver you out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and so on. Uh, And so part of this song looks to the future and is designed to create hope that, yes, we're going to experience really horrible time. uh, And I think this is still in Israel's future. Um, And God's going to show the uselessness of any small g God. And then he's going to bring them to new life. Yes, he wounds, but he heals. He wounds deeply, but he heals completely. And yes, he brings death, but he also brings new life. This is a song of hope. And it's not surprising, you know, in the very next chapter, in chapter 33 of Moses, as we get uh, to the end of uh, Deuteronomy and to all that he wants to say. (laughs) Okay. In Exodus or in Deuteronomy chapter 33, believe it or not, uh, we have the first or the earliest uh, prediction or prophecy of Jesus' return, Jesus' second coming, I think. And uh, if you uh, have a Bible and you want to look at this, it's very interesting. Uh, Moses, uh, you know, blesses all the tribes here uh, in verse 33, the very first verse. Um, This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. So this is the final blessing of Moses, and uh, this is the blessing that he wants to give to the people. And uh, he talks a little bit about the history and and so forth that they've been through. But in verse 26, he sort of concludes, and here's what he says. There is none like God, 
O Jeshurun. Now, Jeshurun means uh, to stand upright. And it's kind of a sarcastic, I think it's a name for Israel that God is imposing um, uh, on, on Israel. Um, but I think it's used sarcastically here. There is none like God, O you who stand upright. Uh, now listen, who rides through the heavens to your help? Who rides through the heavens to your help? Think of what you know about the second coming of Jesus. How is Jesus going to come? Is he going to come in a manger? Is he going to come as a baby? Or is he going to come riding on the clouds, riding through the heavens to save his people, right? And so a number of people see as this as the earliest uh, prediction or prophecy about the second coming. There's none like God, people of Israel, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies, through the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. Now, the word said there is in the perfect tense, which means it can be used either for the past or for the future. So most people uh, who translate the scriptures think that this is a reference to God instructing uh, the Israelites to go into the promised land, right? He thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. Remember how God said to destroy all the ites, you know, all the uh, different uh, groups of people and so forth? But uh, think of what you know about the second coming and think about what's going to happen. And instead of said, uh, just put says there about the future, that that's what God's going to do. And so Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone. Uh, alone means at the top, you know, uh, there's, there's only one uh, apex and uh, Israel is going to be alone at the top, you know, when the Lord comes back. Uh, so Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine uh, whose heavens uh, drop down the dew. Uh, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. That hasn't really happened yet, right, over the years. Now think of the anti-Semitism that's around today. Someday that'll be entirely reversed, and the Israelites' enemies will come fawning, you know, the Bible says, uh, to them. And so, again, you know, when you think of the Lord coming, uh, Revelation 19 says he has a sword, you know, coming out of his mouth with which he will destroy the nations. And uh, you remember uh, in Revelation, talks about the 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that will be protected from the Antichrist and his armies out in the desert someplace, uh, spoken of very clearly uh, in prophecy through here. So a number of different prophets sort of pick up on this theme. Um, in 33.1, where Moses is actually called, um, uh, forget the phrase, right? Uh, the man of God, the man of God. Many of the prophets are called the man of God. And so you can follow this through. A number of prophets pick up on this theme from Moses in this song uh, and in this uh, uh, address that Moses gives this blessing that Moses wanted to have uh, to the people of God. Um, <clears throat> Again, I think uh, it's significant that uh, we have a, a prediction of the return of Jesus, which is such an exciting subject uh, when we think about it. I think we as Christians are intended to live with the 
future in front of us so that we can have a context in which to place our lives. So the book of Deuteronomy is basically uh, three messages from Moses to the people that he wants to leave behind before he dies. Uh, The first message is just the first four chapters, and it's kind of a review, a history uh, from Egypt to where they are. The second message from chapter 5 all the way to 28 is a reiteration of the laws, of the Torah laws. There's a reiteration uh, by Moses of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. And, uh, you know, because why? Because it's for the next generation. The first generation heard it straight from God, you know. The second generation, Moses wants to make sure, hey, listen, you know, this is what was uh, said on Mount Sinai. This was the uh, covenant that God made. And so you might remember, you know, there's two kinds of uh, promises that come from God. One is uh, unilateral. God just says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And he does it. And you can't stop it. He's sovereign. He's, he's declared what he's going to do. The other is uh, bilateral or conditional in which God says, usually whenever there's one of those kind of promises, it has that little word if in front of it. If you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do the other and so forth. And so two different kinds of promises that we need to be alerted to. But I just wanted to end with um, you know, uh, this final message from Moses uh, the third message is really a call for commitment, a uh, call for commitment uh, from, from the people. And uh, the commitment that Moses calls for, it's a, it's a life and death decision. Everybody has to deal with God, and everybody has to deal with God personally. I like to say God doesn't have any grandkids, you know. I ask people, well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, my mother said, or my dad said, or, you know, this... You can't relate to God through somebody else unless it's Jesus, and he is God, and so that's the only way that we can relate to God. Uh, He doesn't have uh, grandkids and so forth. But in his third message, um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Moses has a few things that he does at the end. This call for commitment, I feel like Moses is saying, look, look at how I'm ending my life at 120, and you'll see what commitment looks like. So there's five things that Moses uh, continues to do, right? Number one, uh, Moses continues to speak. In uh, chapter 31, at, uh, at the beginning, it says, Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel. He didn't say, I'm 120 years where I've said enough now. No. Or I'm retired. Or you know, I'm done talking about the Lord. No. Uh, one of the things that Moses says commitment is about is speaking about the Lord to the people around us, okay? Second thing uh, Moses did, uh, Moses was actively doing, is he wrote things down in verse 9, 31 verse 9, Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant, and to all the elders of Israel, and listen, there's no copy machines back here in Moses' day, you know? This means it all had to be handwritten. Uh, so what was Moses doing toward the end of it? Oh, he's writing down. I, I think I might have mentioned somewhere along the line. I had a friend uh, who was dying, and he had young kids, and uh, I tried to encourage him to write letters to his kids on the significant birthdays so that dad, who was dying, could still have an influence on those kids. And I helped him write these letters, like when you turn 21 and when you turn 16, and when, you know, and this is your dad talking to you about dating, honey, and you know, and write these letters and have some influence and then give them to mom and on birthdays and on special occasions, hand out these letters, Father's Day, you know, uh, give them to your kids. 
And that's what he did, you know. And Moses was doing this at the end of his life. Third thing Moses did, we already talked about, he had to write a song and uh, use music, you know, to communicate. Uh, Fourth thing, in chapter 27, verse 2 and 3, Moses made a billboard. Uh, It's kind of interesting. He told the people, as you're crossing the Jordan, take a bunch of rocks and stick them all up and then plaster over them and then write these words. It's like he rented a billboard on I-84 out here, you know, and, and blasted the word of God into the people as they were going into the promised land. And then the fifth thing he did, which Laura does very well, um, he created a responsive reading, right? He took, as soon as uh, people got inside the land, he took half the tribes and put them on the top of one mountain, and he put the other half of the tribes on the other mountain, and he had them talk back and forth to each other one brought the blessings of the covenant and one brought the curses of the covenant. And they went back and forth and, and responsively responded to one another. Okay, and then let me just read these verses and I'm done. Uh, I'm in uh, chapter 34. This is the end of Moses' life, okay? Um, starting at, uh, well, let me start at verse five. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord, And the Lord buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but nobody knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, took over. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Moses. We thank you that you uh, had him write down the first five books of the Bible. They're so foundational to everything that comes after it. And we're especially thankful for the unilateral promise that you made, Father, Uh, to Abraham to start, that that you gave your vision, that your dream is to bless every single family, every ethne, every group of people on the face of the planet. And that's still your vision. And we thank you that we can be a part of that and that we can do it in Jesus' name, in whom we pray. Amen.